0: Brandon Munro, I'm the CEO of Bannerman Energy. We have the Etango uranium project in Namibia, in southwestern Africa. Brandon, good to see you,
1: sir. Um, now, we would normally be talking about uranium uh, markets, uh, as we do on a weekly basis on the, on the Energy Show at But today, we're going to answer a different question. Okay, we've been seeing a lot of commentary in the marketplace. We've been receiving a lot of inbound. From people concerned about whether they should be investing in African uh, place African mining companies because they 're unsure of the jurisdiction and they you know the, 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 the commentary narrative out there is perhaps it 's more complicated than these first world countries the Canada's, the north america um, the australias of, of this world and maybe we can address that today because i 'm you worked and lived in Namibia you've also worked in other I uh, operated and worked in other countries in, in Africa so maybe you can tell us firsthand rather than listening to perhaps people who haven't actually been and worked there so should we start with I know about Namibia have you, have you um, operated or worked in other countries in Africa?
0: yeah look my deep experience is Namibia but I've done due diligence into a number of countries in Africa. I've had licences in Rwanda, Zambia, I've had investments in South Africa. So to the extent that's operating, I've operated in 3 other African countries and obviously done a lot of homework on numerous other ones.
1: Right. Okay. So, so what, what can you tell us? Obviously, you, lo- you live in Australia, you're you know, lawyer by, by, by training. You must have gone with some trepidation into Africa and thought, I wonder how this uh, thing works. I mean, what, what was your experience, first-hand
0: experience? Yeah, look, the first thing I'd say is Africa is very, very diverse. It's a big continent. It's comprised of 50 different countries. Um, I have experienced that trepidation uh, going into some more interesting jurisdictions, less stable jurisdictions. But Namibia has always been part of my family's folklore. Basically, it's always been held up on an absolute pedestal by my South African family. And as most people would be aware, South Africa faces numerous fairly deep challenges at the moment. So my first experience in Namibia was fantastic. And I had my hand up very high when I had the first opportunity to go there with Bannerman back in 2009, it was. So I had and consistently a really good experience in Namibia. But I am aware that that's not the universal experience in Africa. Um, There's a big diversity of experiences from uninvestable corners of Africa through to highly investable, such as Namibia and Botswana. But, you know, Matt, let's face it, there is no perfect mining jurisdiction. That place does not exist. Uh, The Fraser Institute had Sweden very highly rated, and I worked in Sweden for a couple of years chairing a Um, Vanadium Exploration and Development Company, and lo and behold, they banned uranium mining. Now, you can't have anything more uninvestable than banning uranium mining, and uranium mining is banned in more Australian states than it's allowed. So, every jurisdiction has its challenges, and a country like Namibia, certainly I would advocate for having amongst its challenges, more manageable and mitigatable challenges than dealing with many of the difficulties and roadblocks you can face in a first world jurisdiction. So, let's, so let's, that's that's interesting
1: to me because that's quite often quoted at me. You know, we our asset is in a first world country. We're in Canada. We're in the U.S., we're, you know, we're in Australia. You know, that, that's just thrown at me a lot. It's like, you know, like in the Fraser Institute, probably, probably guilty of perhaps framing that uh, like that. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a gold medal, but we're seeing a lot of change in South America in, in, in a place like um, Chile and Peru. We've seen it in Mexico. You know, we've seen governments take projects back. We've talked about, they've talked about nationalization of uh, some industries, um, you know, and, 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 I guess socialist governments talking I mean, in, in election years, so, so that you don't have to take it with a pinch of salt. You know, rate, raising the royalty rates, raising tax rates, um, etc. You know, we've seen that in Canada, you know, for, for First Nations uh, issues for some projects, the length of time it takes to get environmental permits issues, and so the mining's tough. Mining's a real tough, tough, tough gig wherever you are. And I, you know, and I'm just, I'm just trying to understand: is it any better? Is it the same? Is it worse? In you know, certain parts of the world. I mean, Africa's got a huge history, long history of of mining um, production, but I'm trying to answer the question for investors today, which is, should they be considering, those who are a bit nervous about investing in Africa, should they be considering Africa? Do they need to understand how it works? What should they be looking for?
0: Well, look, absolutely. First, decision gate is, should I invest in Africa? And the answer is clearly yes, so that you get to the next decision gate, which is which country in Africa? Because they are just so different. And some countries in Africa have very difficult to navigate risks. It doesn't mean that companies don't do it really well. There's companies that operate very well in the DRC, but they're difficult to navigate. They require a very high level of commitment. They require a high level of capitalization and other things. And then you get countries like Botswana and Namibia, Namibia in particular, which is consistently regarded as one of the easiest Af- uh, African countries to travel in, uh, to operate in, to do conventional business and to do mining business once you've uh, established that you've got a resource and you've got a discovery. So the way to look at it is to say, uh Every jurisdiction has got risks. In the first world, it tends to be permitting risks, environmental risks, lawfare risks from activists. Um, In the uranium sector, it tends to be political and social risks and uh, the the risk of regulations going against you, such as it has in various parts of Australia and Sweden and a number of other countries, even Kyrgyzstan that has banned uranium mining. So if you look at typical African risks? Well, you start running through a bit of a due diligence list. So first of all, is it safe and secure? Can can management go in there? Can consultants go in there without having a problem? And uh, for large parts of Africa, the answer is yes, they can. Namibia, the Lonely Planet Guide, uh, describes it as Africa for beginners. It's an African country which Advoc- uh, lots of different travel agents and guides advocate self-driving in Namibia. It's probably the only country in Africa where you can go and self-drive and be perfectly safe and perfectly able to do it. It's easy to get around. It's actually very well organised, courtesy of uh, a period of Germanic colonialisation. You know, they they left some very helpful, <laughs> um, very helpful logic and organisational skills amongst the local population. So it's safe and secure. You then say, well, what's the rule of law like? Um, If as a foreign investor you don't like what's happening, do you have recourse through the courts? And a very easy way to ascertain that at a first level is to say, well, how often does the government lose court cases? And how often are politically motivated court cases won and lost? And the answer in Namibia, for example, is the whole time, like government frequently gets taken to court and loses. And that's a healthy thing. It's an independent judiciary. It's got a high level of capability, which is um, largely courtesy to a minority of the population that's very well educated and quite wealthy. And uh, there's a very clear and proud rule of law. You then say, well, what's the political stability like? Because that's another thing that we tend to enjoy in first world countries that you might have some concerns about in various developing countries, not only Africa. Um, And that varies dramatically across Africa. In Namibia's case, they were the last African country to become independent and they learnt the lessons of countless African brothers who went independent earlier and had civil wars and strife and collapses and economic ruin and all of the long list of things that unfortunately document the history of modern Africa. And they didn't make those mistakes. They were helped enormously by the UN and various other countries to be a model of progressing from uh, South African um, uh, uh, ownership, you could say, to independence. And so since, uh, you know, for more than 25 years, Namibia has been functioning very well at that level. Um, You then look at permitting and mining codes. Well, Namibia has got a mining code that has barely changed since uh, since independence. It was modelled on a hybrid between the Canadian and the Australian model. And it's very clear. It's not perfect, but it's very clear. Um, The courts know how to interpret it. The bureaucrats know how to interpret it. So you know, you, and then you start working through that list of due diligence points, and that's where, as an investor, you'd need to weigh that up against some of the key risks that you might face, particularly in the uranium sector, in say a first-world jurisdiction.
1: It's it's interesting. Actually, I say I've lived and uh, worked in Africa too. Um, the the living bit was obviously when growing up there as a child, but um, the the working bit, worked in twenty-five countries in Africa, it, you got it feels like you. you you need to know how the system works, and it's slightly different in, in in each each country. But I think the the questions that get thrown at me is because there's a there's an article um, by a newsletter writer maybe eighteen months ago talking about AK forty seven countries Africa or AK forty seven countries. <sighs> nice generalization from perhaps from someone who hasn't ever worked or lived there, but uh, it can be difficult. And I think what people are looking to are. You know the kind of insurgencies that they're seeing across West Africa potentially. You know, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Sierra Leone, uh, Northern Nigeria. It's not good on the optics. But here's the thing: I've been hearing from CEOs with operate mining CEOs with operations in the countries. It's like it's business as usual, right? It is business as as, as usual um, f- for them. And that's the message that they're very keen to get over it. But for, as investors, I can understand the nervousness of like the thought of business being stopped um, or prevented from actually producing revenues or, you know, um, which is what investors will focus on. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be the, the, the kind of rhetoric doesn't match the reality. So, um, I mean, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Do, do you do you get any of your shareholders contacting you in terms of concerned about your operations, whether it be now with Bannerman Energy or previously when you've worked in places like Rwanda? Because you know, who can forget this of mid 1990s Hutus and Tutsis? Um, what what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on how people in, in, interpret? Um, their the risk appetite and you know and uh, their valuation of, of, the, of these countries?
0: Look, I've never operated in a conflict zone, so I'm not qualified at all to talk about the challenges there. What I've heard from numerous mining CEOs is that uh, in a country that might have a conflict zone somewhere in the country, the conflict zone is determined very much by location and geography and very much by point in time. And I suppose the challenge for investors is you know which country your investment is in, but it takes a bit of research to understand where that is in relation to the current conflict zone and where that is in relation to a conflict zone that might progress or might move or might become more mobile. Uh, So operating on the ground and being able to react or be proactive about how a conflict zone might evolve is quite a different matter to following it from afar and sleeping at night as an investor. Um, But as I say, I've never operated in a conflict zone. I've never had those questions about Namibia because other than the struggle that they had to gain independence, there's never been any conflict in Namibia. It's not a violent country. There just aren't enough people in there to experience a lot of the population pressures that you have in other parts of Africa. You know, it's a massive, arid country with the second lowest population density in the world after Mongolia. Um, so I can understand investors being a little bit nervous in those environments, but again, it's a case of understanding that Africa is an awfully big place and a conflict zone in the Saharan Africa has actually got nothing to do with what's going on in Southern Africa, in particular countries like Namibia and Botswana. I, I quite
1: like your phrase. I've never operated in, in a, in a wars, war zone or a country in conflict, so therefore I can't comment If any more people take that attitude, (laughs) Um, right? So let's let's get away from the kind of more sort of aggressive side of of, of assessing risk, but come back to things like, you know, the 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 rule of law, permitting, licensing, etc. Is it any more difficult? in? I know you can talk about. Well, you you worked in Rwanda, South Africa, uh, Zambia, and um, obviously Namibia. Is it any more difficult, or is it just a case of understanding the process and and you know, and, and working with it.
0: Oh, look, the permitting is vastly easier in Namibia than those jurisdictions and pretty much most other jurisdictions in Africa. And um, so, for example, there's a transparent process in the Namibian Ministry of Mines and Energy. You can go onto the internet and see where all the licenses are. It isn't perfectly executed, and that's where understanding the nuance is important. Um, You don't want to rock up to the counter and be told that you haven't filled the forms out correctly, because then you've got to go home and, you know, come back the next day and that sort of thing. So knowing what you're doing and how things are done and knowing the people uh, is important. And that's what happened with me. I've applied for probably dozens of licences in the six years that I lived in Namibia, um, particularly when I was operating in base metals exploration. Whereas, you know, the biggest challenge in Rwanda was that there wasn't much of a code. Uh, There was no code as you and I would understand it. And it was more like a long form policy that uh, had been um, very new since the privatisation of their mining industry. And so, in fact, The private group that um, I was part of, we were the first Australian company to acquire a licence since privatisation. So we really had to feel our way and understand from the ground up exactly how all of that worked. And because it wasn't codified, there was a lot left unsaid. And that country had had mainly artisanal and small mining. They had very little conventional industrial mining. So there was a lot that they just didn't know about what they needed to put into a mining contract. Um, Zambia, the biggest challenge is that the cadastral office was rotten. So we thought we had a license in Zambia, only to find out that two licenses had been given over the same area. Um, I went there doing due diligence, uh, escorted by the so-called owner of a license, a separate incident, so-called owner of a license who sat on the committee that granted licenses. Uh, only to get to an advanced stage of due diligence about to pay over the kind of exclusivity fee which was more than he would earn in about three years only to find out that a foreign company had that license had a, a basically an identical license so zambia unfortunately is very challenging to get started in that sense and they also flip-flop on fiscal terms quite a bit uh, and you know the, the licensing regime in south africa is also quite complex and it's complicated by bee requirements, which is just a, another area that you need to understand. Um, the Chamber of Mines in Namibia has taken some real strides forward in terms of economic empowerment. And, you know, for my involvement in that has been quite deep. I'm the strategic advisor to the Namibian Chamber of Mines on their mining charter, and was a co-author of that all the way back in 2010, and been involved in all of the negotiations since then. So that's, that's where you can get so much more out of a country embedded in the system, understanding the nuance, knowing the people, spending a weekend be, you know, behind closed doors with the Prime Minister negotiating a mining charter, that sort of thing. So I suppose what I'd say to investors is you want to know that your management of the company that you're invested in knows what ticks in country and isn't treating the country as an outpost uh, you know, based in Vancouver or West Perth, for example.
1: I, th- I think that's a great point. We, 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 had a, we had a similar issue. we were investing into Senegal um, to accompany pre-permits being issued, and the promise of it was coming. It was coming. It was coming. You know, it, every two weeks it was it was coming. Eighteen months later, we worked out a similar situation to you, where the, the, the guy issuing the licenses owned the license. And he was playing a few people off at the same time. So that, 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 which makes us, you know, a little bit nervous when companies haven't got the license yet or they haven't got the permit yet. Um, and I, but that's going to be very specific to, you know, on a country by country basis. And, but, and we've seen the same thing in, um, in other parts of the world too. Um, right. Let's just, let cause there's meant to be a kind of quick, uh, sort of response to, you know, it's okay to invest in Africa, especially for North American audience who are listening to this. It's okay to invest in Africa. Just know the jurisdiction, and more importantly, make sure the management know the jurisdiction. And perhaps managing it from afar isn't always the best solution. There needs to be a good, strong operational team on, on the ground. I, I, I would suggest, and a good uh, there needs to be some you know, peer analysis that you can do. There are lots of other companies operating in countries successfully. It should you know encourage you. Um, let's talk a little bit about uranium because you are a uranium company a uh, lot's going on in the market at the moment as we discuss on on a, on a weekly basis because uh, the 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 other kind of conversation which we've um we're having at the moment we've been having with a few african uranium uh companies is the the conv- the, the kind of debate between should i be investing in high grade uh, canadian um projects or you know, why should I invest in low grade African projects? I guess they both have their pluses and minuses. What's, what's your answer to that discussion?
0: Well, the uranium sector investment proposition is based on the strong macro indicators that there will be insufficient supply this decade. So the first thing you really need to ask yourself is will the project be able to deliver pounds this decade? Because you can't mine a spreadsheet. And so that's where you do start to see some differences between African projects where the environmental process, the permitting process is more pragmatic, it's less exposed to activists and NGO involvement. You've got governments where it really makes a difference if that project gets up and starts employing people. And it just means that maybe you give up a bit on the cost of production, but at least you can turn the pounds and make money off them rather than um, having a company that might be embroiled in a permitting process. So that's the first thing I'd say. And, uh, you know, I was involved in obtaining Bannerman's environmental approvals back in 2009 and 2010. It was a rigorous process. Uh, it was treated very, very seriously by our board and the regulators, That they weren't pushovers by any means, but it wasn't subjected to any external interference. Uh, Once they understood that we were doing a world-class peer-reviewed environmental and social impact assessment and a management plan to match, uh, they asked the right questions, they poked and prodded, but they granted it quickly. And that's been the experience of other companies in Niger, it's been the experience of other companies in Namibia and uh, other companies in Botswana, for example. And I would say, without even any remotest hint of any um, intransparent activity or corrupt actions there. It went through absolutely by the book in a quick order of time once we'd put it on their desk. Uh, So that's really one of the big differences. Um, If an NGO tried to interfere with that process in Namibia, the only grounds that they could interfere is to say, this company hasn't done its work properly and therefore they've cut corners or they're not following the law uh, or they, um, you know, they've got passing bags under the table or whatever else it might be. If you do it properly, you get the right result. They can't just interfere with the process by saying, we believe it should be a 15-year environmental baseline or, uh, or there might be some tribal considerations that uh, mean that the process has to come to a grinding halt and start again. Um, in Namibia and most other parts of Africa, that's not really a consideration.
1: It's okay. I, th- I think I think especially look. We need all of the above. We need we need all of the uranium, right? But there's a, there's an order of play. The uh, the Africa the low grade but very profitable um, African uranium um, developers will be the next out of the block in terms of production because of the 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 licensing, the speed of licensing, the fact that they they have been granted these licenses and, and relevant permits. Um, so as part of your portfolio mix. You, you can have all of the above; it's fine. It's not a case of them, them versus us. I think we need all of the above uranium. So, um, my my opinion, um, I'm looking across the board. My portfolio is a blend of all of the above, and Africa is certainly part of that mix. Look, Brandon, um, appreciate your time today, and it was just a quickie. Wanted to fit you in and just be, bring you into that conversation and get your expertise. You've lived. And worked in Africa, you're fully qualified to have uh, an opinion and uh, share that with us today.
0: So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Pleasure. And next time we'll talk about tourism in Namibia, because that's a great thing to do. So, everyone out there, get on Google, start understanding all of the tourism opportunities there, and you're welcome to combine it a site visit with the Bannerman Tango project.